We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Yeah, we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, Gator Nation. My name is Alan Williams, right here with my co-host, as always, James DiVirgilio. Welcome back to Studio B, James. It feels good to be back. It's uh, It's been a couple of months since our last episode, and in that time I see that you've got a brand new fancy captain's chair here. Yeah, upgrades for this season. So, James, how's your summer? How's it been for you? Summer's been great. I actually had the opportunity to go to Australia and New Zealand. I dove with some great white sharks in Australia. I uh, swam in the Great Barrier Reef and explored the South Island of New Zealand, which truly is one of the most incredible places I've been to. And And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. I went into it thinking New Zealand's going to be overrated. I've seen a lot of really pretty mountainous places, but I was wrong. It was incredible. And you were out in a certain special place. It's one of my favorite places on planet Earth. Yeah, I got to spend six weeks out in Lake Tahoe for my job. Really incredible. Absolutely beautiful. Good to get out of the... Florida summer heat as well. Uh, why don't you catch us up on a little podcast news as well? So in the time that we were traveling the world and seeing things and doing the things that everyone should try to do in the summertime, we had received an email from Blog Talk Radio and uh, essentially a guy named Pod Vader, or Jay Soderberg. Jay Soderberg, better known as, was the head of ESPN's podcasting network for the past eight years, jumped on over to Blog Talk Radio to develop their platform, and we got an email from him and his talent executive recruiting us to join the platform. At first, Alan and I kind of thought it was ESPN contacting us, and there was a, uh, it was a huge level of excitement, and then it kind of switched gears to, what is this? But essentially, we've got a great opportunity uh, to be on this platform where they're going to feature us, they're going to put us on their homepage every time we launch a new show, and, and most importantly, it was really cool to have a couple of long-time podcasting industry executives essentially recognize the talent on the show and say, hey, we really think your show is top-notch. 
as far as college sports go. So for this season, for season two, we will no longer be on Podbean. This will not affect you at all. You will still be able to get all of our episodes from whatever medium you use to listen to us, whether it be iTunes or the iTunes app or any uh, podcast downloader. So no effect there, but we will be on Blog Talk Radio. You can catch us on Blog Talk Radio on their homepage as a featured podcast. You'll hear more about that from us later as we enter into the season. But for now, Alan and I are really excited to have made this change. We get a support staff, we get help, and we really get some some good advice and coaching from from two longtime podcasting industry execs. So hopefully it will translate into an even, even better show for you guys, our listeners. And just a little bit of what's ahead of here on this podcast. We're going to first start with SEC Media Days, but we're going to get into a little team news. We're going to play a little game about who's on the hot seat among SEC coaches. We're going to talk about Gators getting drafted and maybe a look at the national top 25. But first, just last week, the big to-do SEC Media Days. If you're not sure what this is, all of the coaches uh, of the SEC programs, they bring a few players and they have basically a glorified press conference over several days, but it's turned into a circus over the last 10, 20 years. A ton of media, crazy fans. It's a circus. Uh, so we thought we would jump in. It's a nice starting off point. Uh, you know, James, what were some of your big takeaways from SEC Media Days? Well, probably the, the biggest takeaway is that a lot of, a lot of your, your mainstays were not there this year. So you lost Steve Spurrier, 11 years at South Carolina. and That's right, 11 years at South Carolina, which is really hard to believe. Mark Richt, 15 years at Georgia. Gone. No longer a part of SEC Media Days down in Miami. And then Gary Pinkle, who was new to the SEC but had spent 15 years at Missouri. Those three guys are gone, leaving Les Miles now as the longest tenured coach in the SEC at 11 years, followed by Nick Saban. And not because Spurrier wasn't there, I think, was the atmosphere less crazy but probably because it took on a little bit more of a serious nature with a lot of the questions regarding player discipline across the league. Uh, the SEC is, is not different than other leagues with regards to players getting in trouble, but it does seem to be that because it's a more high-profile league, trouble is followed more closely when the SEC players do it. So that was certainly a lot of the conversation last week. Uh, you have probably the biggest issue at Old Miss, and, of course, I think a lot of you probably saw uh, Laramie Tunzel's video on NFL Draft Day. If you watched that, that was rather famous rather quickly. And that has led to a bevy of investigation that was probably already going on and is now going on much further into the program there at Old Miss, which we talked about on this show last year. Uh, we had Russell, Old Miss grad, longtime resident of Oxford, actually discussing the fact that the NCAA had been in Old Miss for a long time now, wondering how are they pulling in these recruiting classes. And we may or may not find more information on that but certainly things are looking interesting for Hugh Freeze at this yeah, point. Yeah, with Laramie Tunsil. I mean, I think everyone always felt there was something shady going on with that big class of recruits. We had Tunsil, um, Treadwell, and who was the, oh, Kim Dietschy. And those guys have all had their issues um, on and off the field. And Tunsil, you know, when that's, <laughs> that video surfaced of him hitting the bong through a gas mask, I think really the whole college football world went nuts. And so obviously there's something going on. And then, you know, leaking his Instagram feed and uh, some of his other social media seemed to very much implicate that somebody inside the Ole Miss program had a hand in what's going on. Who knows how that's going to affect them this season or in seasons beyond. But basically I think the profile of discipline and, you know, how do programs handle sometimes really problematic situations like with Mississippi State and their uh, 
recruit who um, had some issues with um, violence against women. Uh, so a lot of heavy stuff going on at SEC Media Days. Um, UF, just in the last couple of days, a little team news. Not quite as serious, but still pretty boneheaded. Two of our freshman receivers arrested, Tyree Cleveland, Rick Wells, um, getting caught for shooting BB guns at the Keys dormitory. Uh, James, big deal? Not a big deal? I mean, it's a, it's a second-degree felony, I think, so it's at least a big deal on paper. They caused $1,000 worth of damage. Probably one of those things that happened in the middle of summer and goes away maybe results in the most extreme scenario, a one-game suspension for the UMass game. Probably don't miss a whole lot of practice time. Probably one of those things where they sit down with the coaches and say, look, this is it. Like You've already used your strike. Let's not be idiots. Uh, but it, it does, I think, it's sort of... It's just a microcosm of what's going on across the SEC and what's going on with all of these athletes. I don't know. I wasn't a collegiate athlete at a, at a high-level school for football. I can't say exactly what it's like to be them. But certainly there seems to be some sort of uh, sense of the law is not real to me in the immediate sense. And yeah, you, entitlement's the word that's used a lot. It's tough because certainly a lot of regular college students get in trouble too. And, they, and they do dumb stuff. But there's not this recognition that I'm a football player at a very high-profile school, and I'm a high-profile player, especially in Cleveland's case. He's the best receiver that we have on the roster as a freshman. He's our highest offensive-ranked recruit. It's weird to me that these guys would go shoot windows out of the dorm and not think there's consequences. So this is happening all over the country, so it's not just here. And I don't have the answer, but obviously, right. like you said, is it something that's going to carry over into the season? Probably minimally, unless they did something different. This is going to be held in-house, and, and things will probably get taken care of. Right. It's certainly stupid, but is it any stupider than what, like you said, normal college students are doing? And I, I don't think so. Hopefully this isn't indicative of a larger pattern of behavior. If it's just this, it's kind of like, hey, guys, you're freshman, you're 18 years old, you're excited about being on college campus, away from your parents, quit being idiots, right? They'll have to pay a fine, they'll have to do some community services probably, this is what seems to be most likely. I mean, the fact that they were charged with felonies was stupid. That'll get pled down, I assume. Uh, but you don't want this to turn into a pattern with these guys. And hopefully, you know, I think the way McElwain deals with these guys it you know, he gives them options and opportunities. He talks about choices a lot. And they've got to make better choices. But I don't think this is something to get up in arms about. Certainly not as serious as something going on at Mississippi State or Ole Miss or things like that. Right. It's not. It's just still one of those things that's unsettling. You think to yourself, you would love for your own players to behave responsibly. And if they get in trouble for it to be like launching water balloons off the stadium at night or something that really is more typical you know, shooting quote a missile, which I love. That's what the, that's actually what the felony is. It's for shooting a missile. Through a, a missile. Window, I read that in laugh, which is great. But either way, you know, I mean, I've, I've shot plenty of BB guns in my life. I don't think I've ever walked to a dorm room and blasted them out, but regardless, hopefully not a big deal. Uh, this reminds me of Callaway situation. Mm -hmm. it, not in the flow of this. Exactly. Um, it's been going on for a while now. We don't have any new news other than to say that it seems like here in Gainesville, he will be back with the team. They do expect him to essentially get cleared from the student conduct board and probably begin practicing when when fall practice starts. Again, nothing is known here, but that's what the expectation seems to be from the coaching staff on the inside. It seems like an in inevitability at this point, as far as most people see the situation. It would be a major reversal, I think, of the way things are trending. It's kind of silly to me that it's 
drug on this long. I don't know all the details or why that is or what the bureaucratic mess is. But if this leaks into fall practice, that's a major distraction for the team, just him not being there on the field and having to answer questions about that every day. So hopefully that gets resolved sooner rather than later in either direction. And, and for Gator fans, obviously hoping that he's going to be back with the team. So every year at SEC Media Days, the media makes predictions about who's going to win. They put the teams in order in the East and West. Not always extremely successful at it. Do you think you had a stat on that? Yeah, fun stat that I saw today is that since 1992, in the past 24 years, they've done these predictions. The media has gotten it right exactly five times, which is really pretty incredible because in most years, it's really a three to four team race. So you have probably a 25% chance in any given year if you just flipped coins. And to think that you're actually performing below that for the course of 24 years is, is, is pretty poor. However, it makes for a great conversation at this stage to discuss where these teams are and where the expectations are for them. If we recall back to last year, we were predicted to finish fifth, uh, which of course we won the SEC East. Nobody saw that coming. And then this year, we did not we did not get predicted to finish first in the SEC East, which marks the seventh year in a row that we have not been predicted to win the SEC East. The last time was when Tim Tebow was here for his senior season. So with that, let's walk through the SEC East, take a look at what the media thinks are going to be the best teams. And this year, Tennessee ranked first. They were a pretty strong favorite in the East, overwhelmingly so, much, much more votes than what Florida got, about four times as many. So Tennessee is is, is predicted to be the horse. Of course, they returned Josh Dobbs, their starting quarterback. He's a senior. Then you have us. Then Georgia, who's going to be starting a freshman, and Eason. Then Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Will Muschamp, South Carolina. Alan, what are your initial thoughts looking at that list? Well, Tennessee is definitely the runaway favorite. And then Florida and Georgia are pretty closely linked there at second and third, um, as far as the media thinks. Um, And then, yeah, no surprise, South Carolina and Missouri at the bottom. Uh, And Vanderbilt, you know, a little frisky there. Tennessee is really interesting. I mean, there's just a ton of hype, a ton of stories written about them. Pat Dooley over the Gainesville Sun refers to them as the Kardashians. You know, all hype, no substance, all flash, you know, nothing really there. And that every year people get hyped about them. This is the year Tennessee's going to break through, and it hasn't happened yet. So if it doesn't, it's going to be, I think, oh, you know, kind of getting a little warm up there in Knoxville. For old Butch Jones. We'll get to that maybe in a minute. Uh, So, I don't know. Your thoughts on their predictions? So, I love to mention game theory on the show. And, of course, game theory, there are several ways you can use game theory. But one of the most basic things you you would do in game theory is use backward reasoning, which most of you use in your daily life without thinking about it. But backward reasoning would tell us essentially, hey, Tennessee for the past 11 years has lost to Florida. Tennessee, since as long as any of us can remember, has not won a big game. And therefore, you would expect the future result to be very similar to the past results until proven otherwise. So for me, I kind of find myself sitting there saying, I don't really care what you've changed or how many people you're returning or what's going on. There's zero proof that you can get it done. And so to be such an overwhelming favorite only makes sense because the rest of the SEC East is so incredibly weak this year with regards to known quantities. You've got new quarterbacks at more than half the teams. You've got new coaches at... um, two of the teams, and you just don't know. So I think Tennessee's sort of the the girl at the dance you know. You know what she's going to give you, you know what she's like, and you say, hey, I'm going to pick that one. These unknowns I'm not sure about. So going to the west side, you kind of have some similar things going on here. 
you got Alabama, far and away your favorite. Again, not surprising. Defending national champion, tons of talent. Then you have LSU, Old Miss, AM with a huge quarterback transfer in Trevor Nykomer from Oklahoma, Arkansas, Auburn, and then Mississippi State, who lost an incredible amount of seniors, like a million seniors, 22 or so, whatever it was off that team. A lot of turnover there. What do you think about the rankings going on in the West? I think just how you talked about Tennessee, I think you have to talk in the reverse about Alabama. I believe that they'll fall off when it actually happens. And, you know, there's been lots of predictions about the decline of the Alabama dynasty, but I don't know. Until Nick Saban leaves, I guess you got to put him up there. LSU, extremely, I think, volatile team. Could win the national championship, could implode. Really interesting. I think last year we were, a question I like to ask people was, who do you think is going to finish seventh in the SEC West? Because everybody in that division was expecting to come in first or second. And this year it seems like Mississippi State clear seventh. But those other six teams, I think everybody's counting on a big year or needs a big year. Really interesting. I don't know that I have any quibbles with this, but I don't think it's going to look like this. I think we're going to see a surprise maybe at the top. Uh, you know, I think Auburn is one of those teams last year I predicted them to win the national title, and they, uh, you know, sunk to the bottom. On the years that no one's expecting anything, that's usually when they do good. I mean, a lot of people very high on Texas A&M last year. They stunk it up. So, I don't know. It could be a team like that could surprise people. Well, we know that the best quarterback in the country is at Ole Miss, or at least Chad Kelly says during <laughs> SEC, SEC media days. They asked him, hey, do you feel like you're the best quarterback in the SEC? And he said, yes. And I also feel like I'm the best quarterback in the country. Uh, that That's a little bit of Chad Kelly. He's got a little bit of Johnny Manziel in him. And, of course, he's at the right program for that to happen. So Old Miss would be an interesting team to watch because they do have talent. They also have a lot of outside uh, distractions, if you will, going on. But I'm, I'm with you in the West. I, I look at a team like Arkansas and think, They've been so close to being good multiple years now. I feel I, I feel like what, what Brett Bielema is doing there is going to translate at some point in time. This could be the year. But Alabama looks like a juggernaut yet again. And, and it's hard to see LSU with Brandon Harris, who's a rather ineffective quarterback, stopping him. But, you know, Fournette's still there. Who knows? The West should be fun again on the east side. I think it's, it's also wide open. A couple injuries here and there, and any one of these teams in the east can win. And, of course, we'll talk about our outlook a little bit here uh, in a moment. But... With that, I guess let's just jump into it, Alan. Is everyone, and everyone being the media and outside of Gainesville, and maybe even Gators themselves, are people just sleeping on Florida? That is a really, really interesting question. There is exactly zero buzz, I think, nationally about this Gator program. And that's, you know, to be expected with the way we finish the season. But you look at a lot of top 25s, you know, those way too early top 25s. I mean, Florida's only in about half of them. No one predicting them to win the East. That's really interesting. And I would have to say yes. I think, from my perspective, this is a really dangerous team. You know, we'll get into all the reasons why in a couple of weeks when we do our big season preview. But I think for sure, I think this is a much better team than what the national media, that's hard, you know, this is not one conglomerate, but really what I'm hearing out there and what the buzz is there, there's zero buzz. So the, the national media is really sleeping on Florida. Would you agree? Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to blame them for that. You look at a recency bias and, and what a dumpster fire over the end of the year. I think what Gator fans maybe know that others don't is that we had that, you know, the quarterback situation that really changed the nature of the team. So I think people on the outside, if you think about it, if I were just to ask you right now, Hey, 
tell me about UCLA's team last year. And you're a casual football fan. You really can't recall exactly what happened. And if they lost a player, you wouldn't really remember it per se. And that's how the outside world abused Gators. It was like, oh, wow, they started off really hot and then faded and then got obliterated by the sensation of college football and hardball at Michigan. Just got killed on a bowl game, which, of course, on this show, you know that we don't think a whole lot of bowl games. We certainly think there's reasons as to why teams overperform or underperform. And I think, like you said, that the media is exhibiting this sort of recency bias of, wow, that team was really hard to watch. They had one of the worst offenses in the SEC they're going to be a really good defensive team with another really bad offense again. And I think that seems to be the perception. And I think for me and you, we'll talk about this more in the preview. The reality is our offense should take quantum leaps forward with, even if it's Del Rio at a serviceable level to where we can not only compete for the East, but I would make an argument could be the favorites for the East based upon the proven talent we have on our roster versus maybe Tennessee's more experienced, uh, buzzworthy talent on the roster. But that will remain to be seen. And I think for McElwain, it's the perfect storm of another year where you can motivate your players because no one's believing in them. That's kind of what you want, I think, early on in your tenure. Yeah, I think that there's almost no way Florida can be as bad on offense as it was the second half of the year. I mean, just anything would have to be better. I know we wanted to gouge our eyes out at at points last year watching uh, Treon play quarterback. And I think there are at least four, probably five quarterbacks on this roster who are a huge upgrade over him. Even someone as incredibly raw as uh, Felipe Franks, you know, we saw him in the spring game look a bit rough. Even he, I think, would be a tremendous upgrade. And I think McIlwain's offense is going to be at least, I think, serviceable. And that puts the Gators in position to win a lot of games. So do you, yeah, you, do you feel like this is an advantage? You kind of mentioned that, like, would you rather the Gators come into this year? No buzz, not a lot of expectations. Absolutely. And I love that we didn't, the players voted not to get their rings last year. So they could have gotten their SEC East rings. That is an accomplishment. It is something that will go on the stadium wall as winning the SEC East. It is a certifiable championship. And they asked the players, would you like to get your rings? And they, they voted, no, we don't want our rings. That is not a championship. We don't want second place. We want to win the SEC. And I love that because we know that it's not McIlwain forcing them to think that because he's such a, a believer in individual responsibility that he's, he's crafting a culture of winning and winning it. And so I think when you get players that are, that are not being talked about and they go to the media days and all they talk about is Tennessee and Tennessee and Tennessee and Tennessee and the Gator players are like, well, wait a minute. It's been 11 years since they've beaten us. I've been here for many years. I've been here. They've never beaten us. Like, what about us? Um, and I think a lot of the players internally feel like we feel last year and that the team would have been much different had things not happened. So I think they have a strong belief in themselves and they're going to be motivated by proving everyone wrong. And that's a great motivator for, for young men. They really can cling to the sort of us against the world mentality. So I think McElwain's feeling like this is, I got them right where we want them here. They're going to sure. work hard. Seems they seem very motivated. They seem. Uh, yeah, just not content with what they accomplished last year. And I think some of those blowouts in the year are going to stick with them. I think that's going to be great. And we talk about college students, you know, college football players. They're not the most, I don't know, stable is not quite the right word, but they're unpredictable. And so having something like that motivating you intrinsically, I think, is really powerful. And so maybe, who knows, for this team might be the best thing that happened to them is just a poor showing there in the bowl game and, you know, second half against Alabama and, really for state as well so we'll see how that translates for them going forward uh let's play a little game here james uh let's play a little coaches on the hot seat 
SEC Media Days edition. Well, let's take a rundown. Let's see if any of these coaches are, you feel like are on the hot seat. I'll play this little game with you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I like this game because I think it's very interesting this year. <laughs> let's start with the West, and we can skip the first one. Nick yeah, Saban, his, never is, on the hot seat. He's on an ice throne. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Next in the order here, Les Miles. Oh, his seat is. On a scale of one to fire, it's fire. It's fire. He has to win. He, if he doesn't win that that division, he has to come in second, and they have to lose a game against Alabama that's like one for the ages. I just don't think he has anything left in the tank with regards to his bosses, and that's what matters. I mean, they were, I mean he was essentially fired. He came back from the brink there. I basically got a 11th-hour reprieve. I mean, essentially he was fired, and they brought him back. So, right, I could see – I talked about them being mercurial – they get off to a hot start, maybe they roll all the way to the national championship. They lose one early. The pressure starts getting to it. It's like we saw with Muschamp, and these coaches are basically lame duck in some sense. Once things start to go bad, it's really difficult to recover. What about Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss? His seat is, is right now probably like lukewarm, but that's only because it's waiting to either become the hottest seat there is and he's no longer uh, you know, an immediate firing sort of situation. Or it cools off and he's there for 10 more years. It's hard to know on that one. But certainly I think you go in with it being lukewarm, trending towards hot. Some people probably say it's already hot. But I just think that it has to be cleared by the NCAA. And it seems like, although there's a lot of smoke with Old Miss, they may have done a slightly better job minimizing the damage to where maybe he doesn't lose his job. I think Ole Miss really wants to keep him. I think right. that's what they're thinking. If there's any way we can keep him, we'll do it, unless he really is caught red-handed. And that's why I say, for me, it's sort of a lukewarm seat. Yeah, because it's, it's almost completely because of off-the-field, like, you know, program-type stuff. Performance on the field and recruiting there couldn't be more pleased with him. A really interesting guy, Kevin Sumlin over at Texas A&M. Yeah, his seat's hot. His seat is hot. One to fire. He's hot. He's he's getting close to burning. And, yeah, making uh, a yeah, lot of money over there. Making a lot of money, a lot of expectations. That fan base really bought in. I mean, he's almost a victim of his own success. He's got a nice situation now with Trevor Knight coming from Oklahoma. They've gone. It's not like they're doing horrible. They're going 8-5. And, five. and A&M, I think, has a little bit of the same delusion that some of these other schools have where it's like, we should win every year. And they're in a super competitive conference. But he, his teams have been weird. They've They've gotten murdered. Or they've right. done the murdering, and that's not good for the fan base. You kind of wonder where you are. So it's a it's a big year for him. He could, you know, it's one of those scenarios where if he has a year where he's seven and six or he's eight and five, I mean, it's not unreasonable to think that they they fire him. I happen to think he maybe gets one more year if he goes eight and five. Probably, maybe one more, but it all depends on how they look. So his seat is hot. His Pretty warm, hot. I would agree. I mean, this is this needs to be the year where they produce a little bit, just with the crazy team chemistry issues with losing two five-star quarterbacks within a week a lot of recruiting success i mean he was a hot hot name now his seat's pretty hot 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 okay arkansas sexy brett bielema as he likes to use that word brett bielema is the best quotable coach left so you you want him to stay in sec media days he had all sorts of great quotes about how arkansas is a team it's not very pretty right now and they go in the bathroom and it takes them a really long time to get ready it's just sort of these these fun little quotes, little barbs at other coaches. His seat is warm, and it's bordering on getting hot because the same thing in Arkansas. They want to win, and I think his teams have showed a lot of promise, but they've had weird results, and it's a results-oriented business. He's got to start winning. I think this year, quietly, is a year where I think even he's thinking 
he's going to do well. And uh, I would be surprised if they turn out a six and six or seven and six year that he's he's maybe still around. Maybe the hottest seat, to my mind, almost inexplicably, Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Oh, his seat's on fire. I mean, Auburn is. Oh, look, they can't stand it. I mean, every time Nick Saban wins a game, it's worse. And when you look at Gus Malzahn now, there's all these theories about how sort of maybe he had nothing to do with winning. Maybe it was all the situation he Which walked into. Which is crazy into. to me. I mean, he essentially helped them win a national title as offensive coordinator, which, you know, has to count for something, was within 13 seconds of winning a national title against Florida State that year. They are the quickest trigger in all of college football. Uh, they fired so many coaches who have gone undefeated. It's kind of crazy that they would be so quick to pull the trigger on him. But I think if he doesn't have a good year, he's out. And then Dan Mullen in Mississippi State quickly. Yeah, he's he's also on a on a – well, I'm not going to say an ice throne because he's getting a lot of heat for how he's handling this player situation. Uh, but I guess outside of a scandal, he's he's sitting on you know an icy cold cold tub, just having a nice time. <laughs> Let's go reverse order here in the and east. Let, and let me be the one to ask you this time, so okay. you can give me your scale of one to whatever you want. But uh, let's start with the bottom. Yeah. And my favorite person ever, Will Muschamp at South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, the east is going to be interesting here. A lot of first year coaches. So. I don't think too hot. I mean, difficult situation replacing a legend there in Spurrier, but I I think he's fine. It'd be almost impossible for him to get fired. Yeah, worth noting that the fan base is not excited. No, about what no. Much. he doesn't have a super long leash, but no. he couldn't do much to get fired this season. Yeah, can't year one, but the the water's already not exactly cold, so not great there. All right, Missouri. This is this seems like a horrible situation for any coach to have to be in, given all the craziness that's going on out there. But Missouri. So elevated defensive coordinator, I don't think anybody in the fan base is like, yes, this is the guy to lead us to the promised land. Uh, not on a hot seat. I, I don't really. It's kind of a murky situation there, though. Yeah, that murky at best. Certainly not hot yet, but I think people are already wondering why they hired him. How about Vanderbilt? Really interesting. I think people were ready to fire Derek Mason when he was losing to anybody and everybody the previous two years. They started to turn the corner. That defense really started to play well at the end of last year. He's a guy I could see going either way. I mean, if they have a really good year and finish third or fourth in the SEC, that's great for Vanderbilt out of the cellar. He could get a raise. I could see them also just totally tanking him being gone by the end of the year. Yeah, I think lukewarm for him. How about Kentucky? Whew, the Mark Stoops experience. Weirdly, hot seat at Kentucky, which you don't get too much of a hot seat there too quickly. But people had big expectations, and he – fueled those a little bit and they haven't lived up to him i i could see him being gone so pretty pretty warm pretty hot i think interesting i feel like his seat is 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 on the cooler side i feel like he's still building excitement there and that i would i would answer how you're answering for next year for him but that'll be interesting one to watch then all right georgia kirby smart everyone's darling georgia fans are just drooling over themselves yeah so this is i think right now zero temperature but he's replacing a guy, Mark and Mark Richt, for all of Georgia's frustration with him. And we've talked about this on the pod. Set a pretty high standard of success. So him going eight and four, nine and three is not going to be applauded. He's got a really high bar to jump over, and I don't think he's going to be able to do it this year. So I think he comes in the next year a little warmer than he wants to be. 
Yeah, I feel like Kirby Smart is sitting on a on an unlit bonfire. <laughs> and it's sort of like it's just the weirdest zero situation. Zero zero heat right now. Yeah, I mean, but he's, a temple. They're in explosion. love with him, and he's on the bonfire, and they're like circling him, and, and they're having a party. Like we love you, Kirby. But the reality is, he's always in the bonfire because they did have a lot of success, and and they're just a weird scenario. So that one will always be fun to watch. We come to the Gators. This seems pretty obvious, but McElwain. Yeah, almost no heat whatsoever. Great year from the Gators overall. Doing a lot of things in the program facility wise. I don't. Yeah, tons of positive momentum. The offense will be somewhat of a healing project this year. If it gets better, I think the fans will just yeah, be super Yeah, he benefits thrilled. from low expectations for this year. He I think. is. He is walking into that. And On then the other side. And now we have easily the most fun hot seat program, which is Tennessee. Expectations through the roof, as we've talked about. So that weirdly puts him on. I mean, people are excited about this team more so than any Tennessee team. I don't know since Phil Fulmer, I would think, and outside of that weird Lane Kiffin year, but they weren't excited about the team. They were just excited about the Lane Kiffin shenanigans. Since the expectations are so impossibly high, I don't. And we talked about. I don't think that they're going to meet them. He could get fired. Even for going like 9-3, and three, he could get fired because of the just fever pitch of what people think are going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It will be very interesting. I think 9-3 and three probably keeps him around. Maybe it depends on who he loses to in the 9-3, and three, but, but you're right. The expectations have been set really high, and he has, he has missed the bar. The expectations totally. for the past couple of years, he has gone below them. So there's a track record here of going below them. And this year, I think if Tennessee fans lose to Florida this year, and he doesn't Meltdown. win the East instead, they can't take it anymore. Like they just cannot take it anymore. Anyone who's been to Knoxville knows how much they love that team. I respect their passion. It's one of my favorite road trips. I don't know if he can survive losing to Florida and us winning the East with a team that has this heavy of a hand in the eyes of Tennessee fans and the national media. It's just too much. So I think that Tennessee Florida game is going to be unbelievable for him personally Certainly. to have to win. And that's a big one early on. It's going to set the tone of this for the season for them. I think they win that game. They might ride the momentum all the way to the SEC championship. They lose kind of like LSU. Maybe the wheels come off. You know, this winning streak, if you go back and look at it, that they closed the season with six wins. It looked great in the bowl game, but we talked about that. Maybe not all that meaningful. A lot of wins over not great competition. A lot of Vanderbilts and South Carolinas in there. So I don't know. Uh, this could be a really interesting season up on Rocky Top. It should be. And I think you're seeing us paint this picture now in the SEC that, once again, it should be full of, of drama and surprises. Completely. Uh, a, a lot of these teams don't have proven quarterbacks, which is one of my biggest metrics. And a lot of them are an injury to away from being like we were last year. And so it should make for really, really good theater. Uh, with that, let's get you caught up on a little bit of Gator news. So since our last podcast, the NFL draft happened. And in that draft, uh, the Gators obviously had a, a lot of players drafted. In fact, we had seven drafted. And if you weren't paying attention or you weren't sure exactly where they went, we'll recap them for you. Kind of get caught up in the news. We lost a lot of important guys. Uh, first off would be Vernon Hargraves, who won the first round of the Bucks. Then we had Kyle O'Neill, who won the first round of the Falcons. So there goes two defenders off the board. Then we had Jonathan Bullard, our third defender. Third round to the Bears. Morrison, linebacker, fourth round to the Colts. There's four defenders gone. Then Demarcus Robinson, the enigma of, of the Gator program, I think. Fourth round to the Chiefs, which is not surprising to me. I think they probably view him as like a Dwayne Bowe uh, kind of guy on the on the on maybe the light side there. Kelvin Taylor in the sixth round to the 49ers. And then finally, Alex McAllister in the seventh round to the Eagles. So we lose seven guys. 
We lose five of them on defense. Um, Plus a few more undrafted guys who made, I think might make rosters as well. And that's sort of a, this is sort of Will Muschamp's not last influence on the Gator program, but most significant is what you see right there. Those sure. seven guys drafted, they were kind of the guys that he was going to use to win with. And they certainly, a few of those guys contributed a lot. And then several of them were disappointing. And I think that's kind of a nice encapsulation of really the Muschamp era. Um, and now with this year's team, we do return talent. You know, Tabor was at Media Days. That's the guy that, that went there and talked. And obviously Jalen, I think, is going to be regarded as another top cornerback in the in the whole country and be drafted probably in the first second round. Um, and then Jared Davis at linebacker. And then, of course, our, our show's favorite Marcus May, sort of the, you know, yeah, where is yeah. he kind of guy. Uh, tons of talent. You know, we'll see what happens there. So we're returning a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, and we're not going to get ahead of ourselves because we're going to wind up talking about this in the preview. The offensive side of the ball, lots of question marks coming into it. Uh, but, you know, in the past couple of months, certainly the, the face of the team has changed a lot with regards to those guys being out of the program. So it will feel different when we enter into into August and September. Yeah, and those guys drafted, I think, you know, really interesting for some of them. You know, I think great fit for Vern on the Bucks. I think he's got one of the highest floors of anybody drafted. Like, he's going to be solid. He might not be the star that some people predict, but he's going to be good. I think Keanu Neal on the Falcons re- – just shot up draft boards at the end. Everyone's looking for that hybrid corner safety linebacker kind of guy. And then I think the steal of the draft may be Bullard in the third round. Fantastic fit for them. I thought one of the worst picks, Morrison to the Colts. Uh, he could stick there, but I think that's way too high for them. Love Kelvin going where he went. And then lastly, I think great pick by the Eagles getting McAllister, who has just a ton of upside in the seventh round. It's going to be interesting to see how those guys do. I think, you know, Keanu Neal could be incredible for the Falcons. Any other thoughts from you on that stuff? Yeah, I'm shaking my head yes to the Keanu Neal. I think given what we saw, and we talked a lot about this last year, he was he really emerged as a very underappreciated mm-hmm. safety. Primarily, I think, because the team was just in such a weird state that people couldn't focus on his play. But I mean, mm-hmm. if you're watching the games, he was, he was playing nearly perfect game and every he, game. And I think that uh, the NFL scouts saw that. And then obviously saw what he had in, in person, his makeup, where he was at, what he ran, how strong he was uh, smart guy, which is important at that position in the NFL. Perfect fit for him so, there. I mean, maybe draft a little high, mm-hmm. but great fit for the Falcons and what they want to do. And like I said, I love the board pick. And so I think he's going to be a player for them. Uh, we'll see, though. I, I mean, I love watching these the Gators and the pros. Um, always, you know, invest in those guys. The, the enigma, like you said, Demarcus Robinson. Is he going to be a pro bowler? Or is he going to be out of the league in two months? Who knows? I think either are possible. Yeah, I'm probably going to go towards more out of the league in a couple of months. But but who knows? We'll see. All right, let's play another little game. Maybe our, our last game of the pod here. We're going to take a look at a bigger picture here. The We talked about the SEC predictions from the media. There's a ton of these like preview magazines, Athlon, Phil Steele. They're going to be showing up more and more. You're going to start seeing you know, tons of preseason polls here as we get inch closer to college football season starting. And so I want to play a little game here. It's going to be buy or sell. Okay, How this is going to work is we're going to go through the top 10 here for Athlon. And I'm going to ask James whether he buys or sells that team at that spot. And then maybe we'll have a few more that we'll throw in there. Um, so, James, let's start with number one here on Athlon. We've talked about it a little bit. Alabama, buy or sell? 
I mean, you always want to sell the number one team in college football because if we're doing it statistically, <laughs> half of these teams will not be in the top 25. But looking at everyone else, I'm going to I'm gonna buy them at the number one spot. I think that it goes with track record. It goes with past performance. If you're going to pick any horse in the race, Bama's a good one to pick, and they, they return a lot of talent. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say buy. I'll buy too. I mean, I think that they've proven they've been to overcome a new quarterback, which they've done the last two years, and still been in contention for a national title. So... Let's talk about the school out west, the ketchup and mustard, Seminoles themselves, Florida State at number two, buy or sell. I want to sell them so badly because I just I'm just so sick of them in every facet. Uh, I feel like with their schedule, yet again, you you almost have to buy them. I mean, just by sheer talent alone, they're gonna win eight of the games in their schedule with with just showing up. And I think for that reason and for that reason alone, I'll buy them. Of course, they are going to be good. They do have talent. But to me, in the game of college football where competition is everything when you're trying to navigate uh, a full season, their schedule is a huge, huge help to buying them in that spot. I'm going to sell them. Slight sell, like you said. I think they're going to be good. They're extremely talented. Two feels a little high to me for where they're going to finish. How about, I mentioned him earlier, Urban Myers, Ohio State. I yeah, I'm gonna sell them at number three and big time sell for me yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's that's a significant sell for Ohio State this year. I all about all that being said that Ohio State under Urban finds a way to win games. They're gonna win games. So, they lost so many people mm-hmm. to the NFL draft the last two years. I just don't think you can recover from that kind of talent loss. And not no. that they're gonna go, you know, three and nine or whatever, but I don't see them being as high as number three in the No, country. I don't. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that one either. And so, yeah, that's a big sell for me. Okay, what about number four, Clemson? Buying or selling at number four? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's probably a slight sell. I mean, a slight sell. Like, I, I think Clemson is going to be very good this year. Do they finish at number four, and that's how we're playing the game? Maybe. I'm going to go slight sell. I'll agree. Again, like Ohio State, just losing a ton of talent along the defense the last two years. They're going to be extremely prolific on offense. I think I would sell them. Uh, our bull opponent, the Michigan Wolverines, you buying or selling them at number five? Five seems five seems high because they don't have the talent to back up that ranking right now. They're still young. They're still in the process. I'm going to sell them. Uh, can I say buy? And I'm going to buy a lot of Michigan stock here at this point in the season. I'm a believer in Harbaugh and what he's accomplished, you know, what he showed at Stanford. I think there's more talent there than what they've had in the past. And he just gets it done. And I think if Ohio State t- takes a step back, I think Michigan State maybe takes a step back. They're going to win the Big Ten, I think, and that would make me want to buy them. What about Oklahoma? They're at six. Cool. They're so mercurial. Tough it's, one. It's hard to ever I mean, What's Bob Stoops? Like, what are we, what are we doing here with that one? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna sell that based upon history. I'm not basing that upon anything on their current roster. I'm simply basing it upon the recent history of Oklahoma Bob Stoops. I'm selling. I'm gonna sell too. I think they take a little step back from you know really great season last season, m- making the playoff. Okay, the Kardashians, the Tennessee Volunteers, are number seven. I'm selling them, and I'm selling them because I don't think they can pass the football yet. There is no proof that they can do that competently. And I say all that to say that at the end of last year, I was trumpeting their their gameplay to anyone that would listen. Turn it on, watch Tennessee play. They're playing really good football. But this is a new season. 
And uh, I don't know if they're going to reach the same height they reached last year. And it's not necessarily wise to assume because you have more talent, you can reach that level they reached last year. So I'll, I'll be able to answer this a lot better after a couple of weeks of watching how they perform and what I think of uh, Dobbs' progression. But for now, I'm, I'm going to sell them there. Agreed, sell. Big sell for me. How about the old Fighting Irish there at number eight? I don't know what to make of this. It, it's been weird for for Brian Kelly's Fighting Irish. They explode onto the scene and then sort of just kind of, I mean, they've been good. And I, I don't know a lot about the team right now. Um, but I think I'm going to buy them based upon the fact that this is like year three since uh, the last time I had a really strong team and really good coaches tend to tend to kind of year three is the year that it comes back. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy. I'll buy too. It's not a big buy like Michigan, but I'll buy. LSU at number nine. Talked about them a little bit. LSU has just so much talent, but I, I'm going to sell because I do not believe at all, and I mean even remotely at all, in their quarterback. Hmm. And, and I obviously put the most stock in that when it comes to every team not named Alabama. And unless Brandon Harris somehow figured out how to pass in the offseason, they can't run the ball with Fournette 50 times a game and beat everyone. And their schedule is brutal. So mm-hmm. with that being said, I'm going to I'm gonna sell them. I'm going to sell too. And like I said earlier, they're either winning the national championship, coming close, or like going out in a ball of flames. I think it's slightly more possible to me that they're going to go out in a you know, dumpster fire of a season. So I, nine feels weird. It feels like a hedge. So I'm going to sell. Ole Miss, number 10? Cool. <laughs> I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell Ole Miss. I, I, I feel like any given year you, you give me the number 10 team and I'm probably going to sell them just for the sheer fact that that team really does anything. You're sort of better off being further up the curve where they don't talk about you or, or really up at the very top. When you're these little middle teams, just by the de facto of where you are, there's a lot of questions, not really sure, schedule's tough. I'm going to sell them. Okay, I'm going to actually go to number 11 here as well. Maybe the Tennessee of the Pac-12, Washington. A lot of hype around them. You buying or selling them? Is this Peterson's third year? I believe so. It is. I'm going to buy. You're seeing that I'm using a lot of historical trends here for my picks. But I'm going to buy. I think that Peterson is a good coach. I've always thought that. And and year three is the year when you do it. Urban did it in year two. Some guys do it in year two. Normally it's year three. I'm going to buy for that reason. And if he doesn't do it, next year this time I'm going to tell you how Chris Peterson may not be the guy for Washington. Yeah. They're on a similar you know, double-digit losing streak to Oregon. It's kind of hard to pick against Oregon and Stanford, but a lot of people are. It feels like the Pac-12 is super wide open. Ooh, I'm kind of with you. I, I like Peterson a lot. I might, I might buy a little Washington stock here as well. All right, James, anybody else in the top 25 here that is interesting to you? Well, I think we should Florida. I mean, we're, okay. let's, well, look at, let's look at Florida. And number 20 here on Athlon's list, are you buying or selling that? 20 feels right given how we entered the season. That's where I would put us, because there's a lot of question marks. Okay, but um, what, what think about This is end. what I'm saying. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, boring injury, I'm expecting us to have at least an average-ranked offense within the SEC, and I expect us to have a top two or three defense. If that holds true, I will buy at that point. I think that the Gators will finish the year. Uh, while we have a tough schedule, we also have a lot of winnable games in the schedule, especially in the East. We'll finish the year... Uh, and I'm not going to give away our season total yet. We're going to say that for the preview. But we'll finish the year higher than 20 if those things happen. I also see some scenarios with the question marks we have where maybe we finish right around there. I don't sure. see too many scenarios where we like really do some sort of fall. So I feel like that's a pretty accurate, actually, preseason prediction. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm going to buy, though. I think we're going to, like you said, finish a little higher than that. Um, I got another one on here. Oregon, 23. 
Are you a believer in Mark Helfrich? I am not a believer, actually. I fell off that wagon last year. I was never on the wagon, but I suppose I made my decision. And so he would have to prove something to me because currently right now I'm outside of his circle of trust and I'm not I'm not buying them. I'm selling them. Uh, I think that Oregon had its best years in the past. And so unless, again, he proves something to me, I think that that sort of era, the golden era of Oregon football is, I think, is past it. Okay, one more for me. Houston. Really intriguing t- team outside, you know, the Power Five. It's got them at 15. A lot of people all over Houston to maybe go undefeated and sneak into the playoffs. And I want you to answer that first. Okay. I know that Houston is is sort of your like second program now. So t- what do you what do you? <laughs> I love at? Houston. I love it. Uh, I'm buying all this Houston at 15. I mean, I don't see any way they finish outside the top 10 unless things just go way way south. 15 is maybe like a power ranking for them, but they're going to win so many games. They're going to move up. They might not make the playoff, but they're going to be knocking on the door, I think. I like that. And I played this fun game every year with some friends where you have to actually use the top 25 and you get points based upon how far teams move up or down the system. And Houston at 15 is is nice value mm-hmm. because if you look at their schedule, they should finish in the top five uh, as far as anyone can realistically prognosticate. And that's... That's a pretty realistic expectation for them. They're they're going to be significantly better than most of the teams they face, uh, and obviously, there's just a lot of buzz around them mm-hmm. for good reason. I think they're yeah. a good, they're a good football team. Tom Herman stayed. You know, I don't think he'll be there for long, unless he just wins a championship at Houston or something like that, crazy like that. Any other thing in the top twenty-five intriguing for you? Not yet, but I think when we get to revisit this game in the season the season preview and we get to see what the AP top 25 is, uh, it will be interesting because generally those are a little bit more heavy handed towards the media favorites than they would otherwise be. Yeah. Athlon's an interesting list. It's not going to be just like this in the AP, which still weird that college football puts out these polls, I guess, because we can consume them now that the playoff system is in effect. Fun to talk about though. Very fun to talk about. And with that, we will bring this, Call it the midsummer, the midsummer the episode summer of the Gator Nation Football Podcast to a close. We will return on August twenty second for our season preview, and and then that will begin our our weekly shows. Uh, and you'll join us on Blog Talk Radio Network. Of course, you can always get the show on iTunes, any podcast downloader you want to download off your phone, whether you have a Windows phone, an Android phone, or an Apple phone. You can use anything to get the show. Um, as always, if you have any questions, any feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can reach us at our email address, GatorNationFootballPodcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on Facebook. Alan, any closing remarks? I'm looking forward to the season start. I'm ready to get out of the summer, get to some games. It's going to be really fun, I think, this year, James. Looking forward to it. And from Studio V, that's all from Alan and I. See you guys in August. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.